The following program is sponsored by the National Prayer Chapel. America is in grave danger. The grave danger that we face is on many sides. But there is one danger that stands head and shoulders above every other danger that faces America. And that is the illiteracy and the ignorance of those who called themselves Christians, of what the scriptures actually say and teach. The Bible has been cast down in our culture. Most who call themselves Christians only open the Bible and sip casually for a few minutes and then close it and go about their business, and yet they sit for hours and drink in the Internet or some foolish entertainment. I sat at a table full of men and listened as they talked about the hours they have spent watching the sports they could give you all of the stats on each player and the strategies for each player. But almost totally ignorant of what the scriptures say. Oh, they know John 3.16. They know a few things about the Bible. But frankly, the pastor that they have is an inspirational pastor and a conceptual pastor, but he is not a teacher of Scripture. And I listen constantly. I'm being invited. Would you like to come to our home group, Pastor, from various churches and various people? And I say, what are you studying? And they say, oh, we're studying this book, but it's not the Bible. They're not studying the Bible. They're studying what somebody else is saying about the Bible. Isn't it time to open the scriptures and to cry out to God and say, Oh, God, will you teach me your word? I could do a whole broadcast today just talking about the struggle I've gone through spiritually coming out of a Seventh-day Adventist background, and the non-biblical teaching of that denomination. And then the Dutch Reformed, and the non-biblical teaching of the Dutch Reformed. And then as an independent pastor, non-denominational, the conferences and the workshops with the Presbyterians and with others, constantly seeking to grow and learn, seeking to know the Word of God. And finally, the Lord spoke to me and he said, if you want my power, read my Word. Well, that sounded so simple, so unprofound. But I began reading the Scriptures, Genesis to Revelation, four, five, six times from Genesis to Revelation every year. I began to just recreationally 
if I could put it that way, read the Word of God, eat the Word of God. And as I did so, I came to a place where I said to myself, after a number of years of walking in this reading, I'm getting a little bored with this, Jesus. And the word of the Holy Spirit was, dig deeper. And so I began to cry out and say, oh God, would you reveal your word to my heart? Oh, I always prayed before I read the scripture, please open my mind and my heart to hear your word. But now I was saying, oh God, break through these false understandings I have of righteousness. And it was in that crying out to God that he began to show me the corrupted words of Scripture. For example, the word grace. I'd always been taught, both in seminary and then in my own reading, that grace simply meant undeserved favor. Well, for a toddler, that's sufficient to understand God loves us. For a little boy, that's sufficient. But for a man, that's insufficient. For a woman, that's not enough. You have to go beyond that childish understanding and begin to get a hold of the fact that grace means divine influence in your life. And that's a wonderful place to begin to understand God is influencing my life and directing my path, but that's still an immature understanding of grace. And then the false grace teachers come and they say that grace means that you are declared righteous and that the robe of Jesus covers over all of your sin. So now Jesus looks at you and he doesn't see you. He sees himself. So now we have heresies beginning to spring up that pervert the word of God, that cause the word of God to be without understanding in the hearts of men and women. We've got to dig deeper. Divine influence for what? Divine influence to be made righteous. Divine influence that Christ would be in us. Christ in you, the hope of glory. And so grace begins to be perverted. Our first understanding is unmerited favor. Then we begin to understand that grace is divine influence. But then we have to go the next step and understand, according to Titus, the Apostle Paul said, Grace teaches us to say no to ungodliness. We have to begin to understand that, that God is not using grace to cover our sin. God is using grace by his precious blood shed on Calvary to remove our sin. See, fatalism blocks God's people today from digging deeply in the scriptures. And fatalism rules in the church today because we don't know the Word of God. The Word of God must be elevated. It must be lifted up. We must understand that the Scriptures are not just a book or a library. 
The scriptures are the actual word of the living God. When you read the scriptures, it's not like reading a novel. It's not like reading some other common book. When you read the scriptures, you have to understand that it is the revelation of the will and the way of God. Another word that's been utterly corrupted is a word in the Greek, dikasune. We find that translated in the book of Romans over and over and over as justified. Justified. And we've corrupted this word in the scripture to mean that the penalty for sin has been paid, but I am now left unclean and now must be declared righteous. So by translating the word justified and making the word mean to have our past sins wiped out, we then lower the blood of Jesus Christ to that of the same value as the animals sacrificed under the old covenant. In the old covenant, you were declared righteous. You were not made righteous. You were declared righteous because the law could not make a man righteous. Under the old covenant, the animals sacrificed on the altar did not forgive your sin. It simply covered your sin as you look forward to the coming of Messiah. And when Messiah comes, your sins are forgiven. They're wiped away. But more than that, you are also now made righteous. And dikesune in the Greek literally means to be rendered innocent. In other words, to be brought through a process of being crucified. This is not some symbolic picture. It means to be crucified. It means to die. It means to die out to your own flesh and your own way. It means that I'm going to give everything into the hand of God. I'm going to grant him total authority over my life. All that I am now belongs to him. My money, my time, my talents, my family, my wife, my children, my business, everything belongs to God. I'm now made righteous. I'm justified. And of course, the old English word that the word justified comes from literally meant made righteous. Well, you will not know those things if you do not dig deeply into the scriptures, if you do not pursue with all of your heart the reading, the study, the meditating, and the prayer over the word of God. I praise God for those who make available the word of God. But now it's like setting a wonderful meal before us, but if we don't eat the meal, we will starve to death. And many of you today listening to this broadcast are starving to death. You're reading nice little books. You're going to church, listening to some sermons. Some of you sit at home and listen to sermon after sermon after sermon after sermon and 
you're eating somebody else's pre-chewed, pre-digested food. Disgusting. You need to go chew on the scriptures for yourself. Now, I want to take you into some deep water today. By the way, you're listening to Pilgrim's Progress. I'm Ray Greenley. I pastor the National Prayer Chapel in Woodbridge, Virginia. I have a lot I want to say to you today, and I'm going to try to get through it. But just as a biblical base for what I'm going to say to you, and I want to take you into a very practical example of what this meant for one man. Romans 12.1, Therefore I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices. Now in the Old Covenant, the altar of sacrifice was the altar of burnt offering. It was the first step into the courtyard of the Old Covenant tabernacle. When we come to the New Testament and the New Covenant, we no longer offer our bodies on a burning altar. Instead, we offer our bodies to be crucified with Christ, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship, dying out to the flesh and to the way of this world. That is the spiritual worship that Jesus Christ is asking for. This is your act of worship, being crucified daily with Jesus Christ. Do not conform or do not come into agreement any longer with the shape of the culture in which we live, the pattern of this world, or the pattern in the Greek, literally, of this age. Don't fashion yourself after this world's interests or desires. Be crucified with Christ. Be transformed by the renewing or the renovation of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve God's will. You know, there was a man by the name of Reese Howells. He was a young man when the story begins. And he tells the story of how the Holy Spirit came in and took complete possession of his life. Just very briefly, he says, as the Savior had a body, this is the Holy Spirit speaking to him, as the Savior had a body, so I dwell in the cleansed temple of the believer. I am a person, I am God, and I am come to ask you to give your body to me that I may work through it. I need a body for my temple, First Corinthians 6.19. But it must belong to me without reserve, for two persons with different wills can never live in the same body. Will you give me yours? Romans 12.1, what I just read to you. But if I come in, I come as God, and you must go out. Colossians 3, 2 and 3. I shall not mix myself with yourself. He made it very plain that he would never share my life. 
I saw the honor he gave me in offering to indwell me. But there were many things very dear to me, and I knew he wouldn't keep one of them. The change he would make was very clear. It meant every bit of my fallen nature was to go to the cross, and he would bring in his own life and his own nature. It was unconditional surrender. He was only 26 years old, a coal miner in Wales. From the meeting, Reese went out into the field where he literally cried his heart out because, as he said, I had received a sentence of death as surely as a prisoner facing execution. I had lived in my body for 26 years. Could I easily give my body up? Who would give his life up to another in an hour? Why does a man struggle when death comes if it's easy to die? I knew that the only place fit for the old nature was on the cross. Paul makes that very plain in Romans, the sixth chapter. But once this is done in reality, it is done forever. I could not run into this. I intended to do it, but oh, the cost. I wept for days. I lost seven pounds in weight just because I saw what he was offering me. How I wish I had never seen it. One thing he reminded of was that he'd only come to take what I had already offered and promised the Savior not in part, but in whole. Since he died for me, I had died in him, and I knew that the new life was his and not mine. That had been clear in my mind for three years. He'd been a Christian, Reese had, for three years. It wasn't the sins that I saw, but nature touched by the fall. I was corrupt to the core. I knew I had to be cleansed. I saw... There was as much difference between the Holy Ghost and myself as between light and darkness. And then he goes on. His taste for money was dealt with. His choice of having a home was dealt with. His ambition was dealt with. His reputation was talked about. And finally... The question came from the Holy Spirit. Are you willing? The Holy Spirit had given me until six o'clock to answer. It was now ten minutes to six. I wanted to do it, but I could not. Your mind is very sharp when you are tested, and in a flash it came to me, how can self be willing to give up self? Five minutes to six came. I was afraid of those last five minutes. I could count the ticks of the clock. Then the Spirit spoke again. If you can't be willing, would you like me to help you? Are you willing to be made willing? Take care, the enemy whispered, when a stronger person than yourself is on the other side. To be willing to be made willing is just the same as to be willing. As I was thinking upon that point, I looked at the clock. It was one minute to six. I bowed my head and I said, Lord, I am 
willing. Within an hour, the third person of the Godhead had come in. He gave Reese that word in Hebrews 10.9, having therefore boldness to enter into the holiest by the blood of Jesus. Immediately, said Reese, I was transported into another realm within the sacred veil where the Father, the Savior, and the Holy Ghost live. There I heard God speaking to me, and I've lived there ever since. When the Holy Ghost enters, he comes to abide forever. To the blood be the glory. Saved, sanctified, filled with the Holy Spirit. Well, Reese House continues in his ministry, called by the Holy Spirit, And finally, he is called out of mission work in Africa. He comes back to Wales, and he is directed by God to open a Bible college. As that Bible college has been established, we come to the year 1934. As he was reading the scriptures as he was pleading with the Holy Spirit to open the heart of Jesus to him. He began to see something that he'd never seen in such a light before. He began to see the heart of God for every creature on the earth. God began to commission him for this call for every creature. This new word from God was to lay direct responsibility on Reese. It was not a mere assent to the general command to preach the gospel to every creature. It meant, if accepted, that he and all who took it with him would be bond servants for the rest of their days, to one task. The prayer of intercession for the lost, to go, to serve others who go, to be responsible for seeing that every person on the earth hears the gospel. This way, this commission was given to Reese Howells in concrete terms that in the next 30 years, the Holy Spirit would find 10,000 channels from all over the world, men and women whom he would enter and who would allow him to take complete possession of them for this task, even as years before he had taken possession of his servant. The coming of this in 1936 was coming in the latter part of Reese Howell's life. I have by the Holy Spirit come to understand that I was one of those 10,000 channels chosen by God to utterly commit my life and lay my life down for the Word of God, to make certain that every person, every creature, could hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. For this to happen, finance would be needed in abundance. 
But the one who gave millions of dollars in gold to King David for the temple could give the same to those who were building a far more precious temple, a building not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. He gave his servant, Reese, the word in Deuteronomy 28.12, The Lord shall open unto thee his good treasury, and thou shalt lend unto many nations. And with the word was the promise of the first gift from the treasury to Reese of 10,000 pounds for the college. Reese Howells came out from his room that day, a man with a vision and a burden which never left him. He called it the Every Creature Vision. He brought it before the staff and students at the college, and they all joined together with him on New Year's Day, 1935, for a day of prayer and fasting. The presence of God was powerfully felt. They did not minimize the enormity of the task. A deep, growing conviction took possession of many that God was going to do a new thing. It was a conviction that as really as the Savior came down to the world to make atonement for every creature, so the Holy Spirit had come down to make the atonement known to every creature, and that He would complete it. I know we are now a part of the completing of that. And as they prayed, their prayers became very strategic. They must face the fight of the enemy wherever he was opposing freedom to evangelize. God was preparing an instrument, a company to fight world battles on their knees. Do you understand what I'm saying to you? God is today preparing a people who will act strategically, who will pray strategically who will look at every part of the world and the culture that stands in opposition to the promotion of the gospel of Jesus Christ, and they will spend their time praying against that block and asking God to discomfort those who would establish that block. I've been praying for some time about our president and our Congress and our Supreme Court and I have been lifting them up before God and asking God to deal personally with every congressman and every justice and the president of the United States and every agency that stands in the way and hinders the work of the gospel, not just in America, but around the world. Right now we have a president who is doing everything in his power to repress Christian freedom. He is trying to block the expression of the gospel. And so I stand against him in the prayer closet. I pray for his conversion, but I pray that God will deal with him personally, that he would be removed from blocking the work of the gospel. I believe our president, by his actions, is a Muslim. He is doing all in his power to destroy the Judeo-Christian ethic that America was built on. He has used the enormous power of his bully pulpit and of his pen 
to set up every block possible against the gospel of Jesus Christ. I stand opposed to him in the prayer closet. I stand opposed to any person who rises up. I stand opposed to ISIS. I stand opposed to Saudi Arabia. I stand opposed to Libya. I stand opposed to every nation and every person who would set themselves up against the lordship of Jesus Christ. And I plead with God in the prayer closet that he would break their power and open the way that every person could hear the proclamation of the gospel. Now, we see this in Reese Howell's life most powerfully when we come to what he did with the Nazis, with Hitler. It's very clear in the amazing speech given by Winston Churchill, as he spoke boldly to his House of Commons, it was his expectation that England would be invaded by Hitler. And he he said, we will fight. We will fight. We shall go on to the end. We shall fight in France. We'll, sh- we'll fight on the seas and the oceans. We'll fight with growing confidence and growing strength in the air. We shall defend our island. I tell you what, I'm going to fight to defend the Constitution of America that gives the privilege and the right from God for freedom of assembly, for freedom of speech. I stand opposed to anyone and any government that blocks the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Well, he saw Hitler as blocking the forward movement of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so strategically, they took on Hitler. Now, we had yesterday the story, and you may want to go back and listen to it, of Winston Churchill as He did everything in his power, a courageous, a brave, an honorable man who had faced great difficulties. Or you go back and look at Ulysses S. Grant, Sam Grant, the 18th president of the United States, who in a 10-year period went from being totally destroyed, hopeless, fatalistic, to becoming the president of the United States of America, winning the Civil War, defeating Robert E. Lee. But we cannot just fight the enemies in the physical realm. They have to be fought in the spirit realm. And I'm praying for a revolution in America, a third great revolution. The first was with the British for our freedom. The second was in the Civil War. Freedom. The third Civil War or the third revolution, I pray, will not be with bullets. I pray it will be one in the Spirit. That we will win it in the prayer closet and in the pulpits of America. But to do that, the Bible is going to have to be lifted up. 
the scriptures are going to have to be understood. The ignorance of God's people is going to have to be erased. We're going to have to turn aside from our polite little books that we read in our Bible studies, and we're going to have to open the scriptures and get the real food and chew on it and get the revelation of God in our hearts. Let me just take a moment and say thank you to each of you who has stood with me and is standing with me financially, in your prayers, spiritually. There's an awakening army. But we've just begun. This message must go out across America. It must go to the world. In his prayer, the Lord promised 10,000 people who would do this work. You're helping to do this work. Thank you. God bless you. God strengthen you and quicken you for the work of the gospel. Cast aside the works of darkness. Cast aside your casualness about the scriptures. Read the scriptures. Pray for revelation knowledge. Pray for a quickening of your heart, for your heart to no longer be lukewarm, but to be burning on fire for the gospel of Jesus Christ. Pray strategically, specifically, not casual little polite prayers. Now I lay me down to sleep like a child. No, pray out loud. Pray at the top of your lungs. Cry out to God. Break this fatalism of your heart, this acceptance of things and events as they are, submission to my circumstances, powerless to shape the future. I am not powerless to change the future. It is within my power to totally transform the future by going and praying the will of God and being an avenue by which God can flow into this culture. That's what Reese Howells believed. They recognized in this precious Bible college that they had a fight on their hands with the enemy. Yes, Hitler was a devil. But he listened to spirit guides in every decision he made, and when he did not listen, he was defeated. When the Holy Spirit overrode his spirit guide, he went into confusion. The first battle of prayer on this international scale was in 1936 when Germany sent her soldiers into the Rhineland. He wrote, we knew that France would be on fire in a day. And the college began to pray. Now I want to go forward as they were interceding for Dunkirk, where God heard their prayer, heard their cry, calmed the waters, and allowed the British soldiers to escape the trap they were in. 
let me begin sharing with you the notes of the meetings as he spoke, and you will begin to catch what was going on. May 16, 1940, 9.30 a.m. It's the day after Holland has surrendered. He said to the assembled students and faculty, today is probably the greatest battle in history. Can God do something today? Now, when the Germans say, we have got the Allies on the run, can God do something today? Keep your eyes on God today and get the victory. As they went into the prayer closet at 9.30 a.m. as a Bible college. At 2 p.m., he said to them, the Lord has made very plain that the victory is from him and no one else. And he is to have all the glory. God gets at the enemy visibly and invisibly through the army and through the prayer warriors. 5.30 p.m. The position is most serious in France, but even if the French and British are fighting against such great odds, the Lord is able to help them. May 17, 9.30 a.m., the Wales Bible College He says to them, God will not do a bit more through you than you have faith for. The victory last night was in seeing that no matter how the enemy came, the Holy Spirit is stronger than he. You are more responsible for this victory today than the men on the battlefield. You must be dead to everything else but this fight. One p.m. Because you have committed yourselves, you are responsible. You will never have peace again until the world has peace. But you have a place in the cleft of the rock. 3.30. We are here until the Nazis are put out. 7 p.m. If the Lord finds us quite willing in this life and death, and that we have got the victory in the test, He will allow us to prevail upon him now to finish it. If we believed last Sunday, last Saturday, we are believing tonight. I am not willing that thousands of our boys should be lost because there has to be the doom of the Nazis, and it will come now if we can prevail. If this had been a failure, God would, would have been against us, but he shows us he is now pleased with us. Unless God intervenes today in a miraculous way, I believe we have lost. I would be willing to die, but I cannot afford to die. Neither can we afford that Hitler should live. You see what I mean by strategic praying. Taking up the mantle of warfare. Praying these men and women were students, young people, praying for the delivery of the British soldiers from Dunkirk. And if you know your history, you know God arranged an incredible miracle and delivered those precious British soldiers. May 18, 2.30 p.m. I want... I want to fight with this enemy again this weekend as if it were the end of civilization. You don't have anything 
to chance in this. Don't allow those young men at the front to do more than what we will do here. I do ask him to bring a real disaster to the Nazis this weekend. I've been praying, oh God, bring a real disaster to the Republicans, that they will choose a leader that will be righteous and holy before you, not a drunkard, not an alcoholic, not someone compromised with wickedness, but bring a righteous man to be the head of our House of Representatives. I pray, O God, come against McConnell. Replace him with a man who is godly. I pray, come against the President of the United States, O God, and totally confuse his plans for America. Don't allow him to destroy this nation. Don't allow him to block the proclamation of the gospel of Jesus Christ. I pray, oh God, stop the Supreme Court in their tracks, that they will take no more votes against the religious liberty rights of Americans. In their most recent decision, they have voted against the religious liberty of mom and dad's who don't want to have their children vaccinated, believing instead and trusting in Jesus Christ. And the Supreme Court has said, you have no right to resist the state's demand that your child be vaccinated. Never mind the mercury in the vaccination, never mind the poisons, never mind the sickness that will result. I pray, O oh God, deal with the Supreme Court of the United States of America. My fight is with the devil in the prayer closet as he influences men and women in positions of power and authority to do ungodly and wicked things, to pass wicked laws. God is calling for you to become involved strategically in the battle against those who would harm and block the work of the gospel in the world. He's called you to give up your life for the sake of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Your time, your money, your energy, your prayers, your strategic thinking. He's calling for an entire dedication, mind, body, and soul. Will you allow him to take charge of your life? Will you stop with your own plans? Will you turn aside from the shallowness and the ignorance of the word? And will you begin to study the word of God? Will you read daily, hours, the word of God? I say to people who say, oh, pastor, I just don't have time. I say to them, do you have time to eat today? Oh, yes. Well, the same amount of time you, that you have spent eating, spend that time feeding your spirit body. 
Your physical body is well fed. Your spirit body is dying. It's starving. It's anorexic. Feed your body. But feed your spirit. Much more important. Six thirty PM on May eighteen. Reese Howells speaking to the church, to the college, to the young people said, As the Lord gave us the prediction and we have had victory in it, and the delay has not changed our faith a bit, then we must come back and ask him when he is going to do it. I feel tonight that whatever the Nazis do, they cannot escape the Holy Spirit. Christianity is quite safe. If you have faith, you can leave it in his hand, and he will intervene in the right time. We can't inquire when he's going to do it if we haven't got faith for him to do it. Christianity is being threatened on every side. It's being threatened with ignorance. It's being threatened with apathy. But even more so, it's being threatened with fatalism. Go along to get along. No bold stand for Jesus. A man who comes late to the prayer meeting regularly, I said to him after the last time he was late, Brother, why are you late to the prayer meeting? He said, Oh, I don't dare let my father know that I'm coming to a prayer meeting. He would kick me out of the house. I said, Wait a minute. You're telling me that you lie to your father about where you're going? Yes, I tell him I'm going to the cl- to the health club to work out. And so I dress in sweats and, and clothes appropriate for the workout place. And I said, and then you come to the house of God with a lying spirit, a cowardly spirit? If you deny Jesus Christ before the world, before your father, he will... Jesus will deny you before the angels. Isn't it time we we became courageous and stood up and said, Enough! I'm a servant of the Most High God. Now, whatever the consequences are for being a servant of the Most High God, I will bear those consequences. Whatever the shame I'm called to bear because I'm a follower of Jesus, I will bear that shame with joy. If it means I'm homeless, it's all right. I remember it was after a worship service. I walked outside with a little group of people, and one of the women said to me, Pastor, this week would you pray about, and she named an issue, and she said, would you pray about that for me? I said, yes, I will, but let's pray right now. And I just bowed my head, and I began to pray right there in the parking lot. People were driving by, people were around, And the Holy Spirit said to me, open your eyes. I opened my eyes and here this woman was standing, looking around like she was not praying. I stopped praying. I said, my sister, are you ashamed to pray out here? Well, you know, I don't don't know what people would think. Are you kidding me? What do you think Jesus thinks when you're denying him in public?
It's this ignorance, cowardice, fatalism. Christianity is in grave danger. It's time to stand up and be counted for the cross of Jesus Christ. It's time to lay it on the altar. These men back in, and these women back in 1940, they laid it all on the line and they won the intercession and the soldiers at Dunkirk were delivered. May 19, 9.30 a.m., these Nazis will not destroy civilization. When they get near enough, God will deal with them. When the Holy Spirit has gone to the victory side, you could never convince the man or woman who's gone to the victory side with him that he is a failure. 9.15 p.m. Now is the best time to test the Bible in wars because we are in one ourselves. May 20, 9 a.m. The next 24 hours will be the crisis in this great battle. They are ready to take our country at any moment. Even before lunchtime, the history of the world may be changed. Such a thing as this has not happened to us before, and you do not know how much faith is needed. We are coming to the Lord this morning and telling him our eyes are on him today. And thus he intervenes. England is lost. I don't doubt the Lord for one second, but we must be very careful. 2.30 p.m. I think tonight of sending the book God Challenges the Dictators to Mr. Churchill to encourage him at this moment. The army is losing ground every day. In the book it has been said that man would not be able to end this. But God has said, don't expect me to do it until you get to your extremity. The only thing we want the Lord to make plain to us are we up to that place he wants us to be at this moment? That's what I want to know. Am I, Pastor Ray Greenley, in faith, in submission, at the place where God wants me to be, so that the word I speak to you is straight from the heart of God, without fear, without a need to please anybody, just the straight word of God that he can use to touch your heart, that's my only concern. That I be faithful to Jesus Christ. That I be filled with the Holy Spirit. That I be sanctified. That I not be walking in any known sin against the Lord God Almighty. That I be washed and clean. Are we up to the place he wants us to be at this moment? The only thing I want is not to doubt in the time of crisis. And today is a time of real crisis. May 21, 9 a.m., fear of invasion. Yesterday was the darkest day in the history of this country, especially after the prime minister's speech. Everyone in town is expecting the enemy to invade this country. We've told the Lord our lives our victory. We ought to pray now for the Lord to stop them coming over to this country. We must pray for the Lord to keep the enemy in check. He is like a roaring lion. The French prime minister says tonight, 7 p.m., 
It is only a miracle that will save us. The test is whether the Bible is true. I am willing to risk my life to prove it, and I want to tell you tonight that it is true. See that your believing is right. If it is, you have nothing to fear. The world is in a panic today, and certainly we would we would be too unless we were quite sure the Lord had spoken to us. The destiny of England will be at stake today and tomorrow. The destiny of America is at stake today. We are being flooded with every kind of wickedness. How do you stand with Jesus today? You've been listening to Pilgrim's Progress. I'm Ray Greenlee. I pastor the National Prayer Chapel in Woodbridge, Virginia. Almighty God, I pray this word has cut the heart of my brothers and my sisters. I pray that this challenge to read the word will be heeded by them. I pray that the power of the Holy Spirit will call them to the prayer closet to pray strategically. I pray you will save America. You will save Christianity. I believe you will have the victory, Jesus. Thank you. I pray in your holy name. Amen. You've been listening to Pilgrim's Progress. I'm Ray Greenlee, the pastor of the National Prayer Chapel. I love you, my brother, my sister. Stand, though the heavens fall, and you will have the victory. God bless you. I'll talk to you soon. Before the presence of his glory.